I got an intro for you, but it is not one that I made up. Okay. But I think you're going to know immediately where it's from. You ready? Yeah. Bum ba dum ba. Bum ba da. We don't have the rights. It's less than 15 seconds. Okay. <laughs> it's relevant, I promise. All right. Hello, I'm Emma. I'm Shannon. And welcome to This Podcast Doesn't Exist. The Outer Space Edition, apparently. (laughs) It is relevant, I promise, that I sang uh, that theme song. But before we get to that, why is this feeling very weird? Is it because we're not in our our usual room, you guys? We're in my closet. Yeah. Sort of. Well, Emma's in my closet. (laughs) Yeah. We're not in our usual room, and so I'm feeling very, like, out of... I guess out of place. That's hilarious, of course, because I am. But like, I feel like I'm missing something. I guess we just need to build up the energy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm over here questioning whether or not I got it. It is Star Wars, right? No. No, it's Indiana Jones. Yes. Yeah. Never mind. We're not in outer space. Guys. <laughs> That's where I got confused. That joke doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <sighs> If you have anything you would like to send us, maybe if you have any stories, Karen, about uh, dead bodies on hiking trails. That's my mom, you guys. Yes. She's not just yelling at angry middle-aged women. No. And but my mom was like, she was like, because I was telling a story basically about a uh, Karen, quote unquote, but mm-hmm. I said like Susan instead. She's like, you thank you. It's really disheartening to have your name co-opted. <laughs> I was like, but I always tell people, you are not a Karen. She's You're the exception like a to the rule. <laughs> yeah, she's the exception to the rule of Karens, definitely. Um, but Karen, you can send that story to us to our inbox, and that we might be able to read for a mailbag to our website or through our website at thispodcastdoesn'texist.com. dot com. Thank you. You can find everything else there too. Especially as we ramp up for the holidays, you guys, we are trying very hard to rack them, stack them with our episodes, and we are also trying to get ready for the holidays. So we're a bit busy, but probably in the new year, you're going to see some new TikTok, Twitter, YouTube things. So get ready for those for a gift after Christmas, after the holidays. So get excited for that. That's also like a... Hey, Emma, get your stuff together. (laughs) Call for me for when I go back and edit this. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's housekeeping out of the way. Do you have anything else? Did I miss anything? I don't think so. Okay, great. Well, then you have guessed the where the theme song came from, which was... It shouldn't have been a guess, (laughs) but Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. They're both by John Williams, okay? Yes, exactly. And it is... There is that, like, mashup, right? Yes! Yeah, that's what I was, that was in my, about to that say. Was in I was my like, brain. it was on YouTube because they're like they're do, they're like the acapella group is like singing Indiana Jones, but with like lyrics about Star Wars. Yes, Sarah Billman, I think knows exactly what I'm talking about because I think it was on one of the mix CDs yeah. that she burned for me for my car. Yeah, and, like all the music we listened to in high school was either from like Glee. Or from internet culture, like, remakes of popular songs, but they're, like, about the Hunger Games. Exactly. We were not like other girls. Obviously not. You still aren't. Eh. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Well, 
yes, it is from Indiana Jones. And what, pray tell, was Professor Jones most famous for both finding and subsequently losing? Do you know? Have you um, seen Indiana Jones? The the holy grail correct <laughs> well done i've seen a an indiana jones yeah it was at camp though so i don't really remember he's not into snakes he's got a whip and it's harrison ford looking like a snack you've got the the gist, <laughs> the gist. yes well yes the holy grail and who were the protectors of the holy grail the Freemasons, the Templars. Templar, the Knights Templar. Yet they're, Aren't they, like, basically the same thing? We'll get into it, oh, because okay. today's topic is the Knights Templar. Ba-ba! All right, so, because this is a Shannony episode, we're going to get deep into the history, so <laughs> get ready. Okay. In the 11th century, it was decided that the Holy Land of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas were only for, quote, true believers. Shun the non-believers. I was not expecting that. Do you know what that's to? No. Charlie the Unicorn? Oh, that freaked me out. Charlie bit my finger. That freaked me out when I was a kid. The unicorn (laughs) and the, like, what of the spoon fingers Uh, Look, I don't remember the visuals. I just remember that. (laughs) YouTube was different. The Muslims who currently occupied the land and who had tried to remove the Jews before them were to be expunged and kicked out. And in 1099, the Christian Franks, a Roman Germanic ethnic group, conquered Jerusalem as a result of the First Crusade. This opened a door for Christians to take pilgrimages to the Holy Land, but there was an issue. The city of Jerusalem may have been conquered and well protected, but the nearby newly established crusader states, also called Outremer, which sounds like part of a fantasy novel, which went down the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea, lacked any kind of protection at all. Those who had fought in the crusade had gone home, their vows being fulfilled, leaving the newly formed kingdoms without any army. This meant that the area could be extremely dangerous for pilgrims traveling to and from the city of Jerusalem. Taking the route against the coastline via Jaffa, these pilgrims were routinely robbed and killed by both Muslims who were trying to gain back Jerusalem, which, you know, wasn't necessarily theirs to begin with, but that's a longer story, as well as bandits who saw these pilgrims as a great opportunity for a quick buck, whatever the cost. This marauding resulted in piles of bodies being left at the side of the well-traveled roads that were then devoured by animals, which is very scary and very not cute. Hmm. In order to try and keep these pilgrims safe, in 1119, a French knight named, we're going to try, get ready with that bingo card, Hugh, which I'm guessing in French is like, because eh? <laughs> it's all just consonants, de Payens, proposed the creation of an order that would act as essentially medieval AAA to King Baldwin II of Jerusalem and Varmund, Patriarch of Jerusalem. They loved the idea and gave Payens and eight other knights a wing in the royal palace that sat on Temple Mount, which was within the captured Alaska Mosque. The Temple Mount was believed to be above the true Temple of Solomon, and crusaders referred to this new royal palace as Solomon's Temple. It was from this that the knights took their name, which was, in full, Poor Knights of Christ and the Temple of Solomon, or, for short, Templar Knights. I don't know where the Templar part comes. I'm sure it has something to do with some language thing. 
These few knights had basically no financial resources and relied on donations to keep food in their mouths as they protected Christians on pilgrimage, but they were wanting it that way. They were basically a monastic order, and their emblem was two knights riding a single horse, which was meant to symbolize the order's poverty, which I immediately went to the image in The Road to El Dorado. (laughs) (laughs) To which I respond, no homo, no homo. (laughs) Then you say Road to El Dorado, and I'm like, Mm, at least bisexual. Some homo. (laughs) Some homo. (laughs) Two bros sitting on the same horse, really, really close, but they're not gay. (laughs) That was, that was a plus. Thank you. That was a plus. Thank you. At their beginnings, some religious leaders were critical of the new order, but in 1129, the Catholic Church gave a formal endorsement supported by Bernard of Clairvaux, a church leader, eventual saint, and founder of the Cistercian Order, a more stringent branch of the Benedictines. He was also the nephew of one of the founding members of the Templars. Bernard wrote in his tract, In Praise of the New Knighthood, in avid support of the Templar Knights in 1135, the following. A Templar knight is truly a fearless knight and secure on every side, for his soul is protected by the armor of faith, just as his body is protected by the armor of steel. He is thus doubly armed and need fear neither demons nor men. End quote. Which makes them seem very like, and I kind of like it. After this support from a well-known church leader and an official endorsement from the Catholic Church, the Templars started to receive donations from all over the Christian world. They got money, including an official donation from the Pope in 1135, land, businesses, and men of noble birth who were eager to help fight within the Crusade states and the Holy Land. They quickly went from a poor order of nine men to a well-established and well-funded order that was growing fast. In 1139, Pope Innocent II issued a papal bull that exempted the Knights Templar from adhering to local laws. This meant the Knights could cross freely across borders didn't have to pay taxes at all, and no no one had authority over them except for the Pope. Mm. Very diploma- diplomatic immunity. Yes. Which comes into play a little bit later. So the Knights were established as a monastic order akin to the Cistercian and Benedictine monastic orders, who were both dedicated to the rule of life set down by St. Benedict. Because of this, there was a strict structure and some specific rules about being a Templar Knight. So these are the three ranks within the order. The noble knights, these men had to be knights already before joining the order, since the Knights Templar didn't perform any kind of knighting ceremonies. This meant, too, that the majority of the noble knights were noble and very wealthy. These were the these are the quintessential Templars that we think of today as they are the most visible of the ranks and wore the like white mantles meant to represent their chastity over their chainmail with a red cross on it. So basically the costume that you find in Party City. Or what's the Halloween place called? Spirit Halloween. These were also the men who were heavily armored and would help fight in the key battles of the Crusades as the advanced shock troops. Basically, they were there to charge at the enemy in an attempt to break up their formations and create enough chaos to win. And they were super successful for the most part. Each of these knights had three or four horses, heavy cavalry, and a couple squires. The squires weren't usually members of the order. They were kind of like interns or contractors like they were outsiders who were like you can come do this for a little bit and then you can go home good job 
The second rank is the non-noble sergeants. And these sergeants were usually the tradesmen who would build blacksmith and provide backup to the royal or to the noble knights as light cavalry in the crusader states. These men also often held the most senior positions in the order as they were not the main cavalry fighting on the battlefield or protecting pilgrims, and they wore black or brown with their red cross to distinguish them from the noble knights. And then there were the chaplains, and these were the men who were ordained priests in charge of the Templar's spiritual needs, and this wasn't established until 1139 when the papal bull was issued. There was also the Grand Master, the highest office held in the Knights Templar, which was basically the end-all be-all of authority within the order, barring the Pope. The position was held for life, but with war and sieges, this meant that several died while in office on military campaigns. The operations for the order were overseen by the Grand Master, which included both military operations on the ground in the Holy Land and financial and business dealings from the West, including their donations. And of course, there are rules, as every order has. And here are just some of the Templar-specific rules of the several hundred they eventually followed, which feels like a lot to keep in your brain. Yeah, it's like the military. You learn bit by bit, I guess. I guess. And I'm reading these as part of a translation that someone did from the earliest known Latin that we have of these, so they're a little wonky in terms of syntax, but here we go. Because of the shortage of bowls, the brothers will eat in pairs, so that one may study the other more closely, and so that neither austerity nor secret abstinence is introduced into the communal meal. And it seems just to us that each brother should have the same ration of wine in his cup. So basically you had to sit across, yep, sit across hey, the table from you your wanna, friend. You want to eat this mac and cheese with me? And it's like, bite for you, bite for me. Okay, I take a bite. I slide it across the table. I take a bite. Back in. <laughs> and you had to do this in silence because that was also another one of oh, the Oh, that's rules. even better. Like, <laughs> I won't make mouth sounds because my mom will hate me. But like, nom, nom, nom. Scream. Just <laughs> <laughs> that times 80. <laughs> Just a bunch of guys. Yep. Mac and cheese sounds good right now. You really wouldn't want to fart. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone could hear you. Because nobody's talking. You know? I wonder, though, if it was, like, a bodily functions... Well, that's... I'm saying this now and remembering my medieval class where it was, like, bodily functions were the funniest thing to the medievals. <laughs> they would write poems about it. Well, so like, I'm we're like... We're allowed to make b- verbal jokes. Yep. I feel like it would be a very funny... It would be all of them going... It was, like, like one holding. squire that was, like... <laughs> anyway... All right. Next back, one is back to the very serious rules. <laughs> no farting. No farts. Next one is no brother may bathe, let blood, take medicine, go into town, or ride a horse without permission. Which seems like a lot. Like I kind of want to take a bath. Is that okay? No. Oh. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Starting to feel like a cult. Okay. I mean. Next. None may carry or keep money without permission. When a brother asks any brother for money to buy something, he should buy as soon as possible that for which he asks, and he may not buy anything else without permission. Which seems like financially responsible company behavior. Right. Next. And the brother should wash the pauper's feet and dry them with towels and afterwards kiss their feet humbly. 
following in the footsteps of Jesus. Mm-hmm. If a brother refuses to carry out the commandment of the house and persists in the folly and does not wish to carry out the commandments he has been given, the habit, or the mantle, the white thing with the red cross on it should be taken from him and should be put and he should be put in irons Mm. if a brother lays his hands on another brother out of anger or wrath he should not keep his habit and if the blow is serious he may be put in irons we prohibit and firmly forbid any brother to recount to another brother nor to anyone else the pleasures of the flesh that he has had with immoral women and if it happens that he hears them told by another brother he should immediately silence him And if he cannot do this, he should straightway leave that place and not give his heart's ear to the peddler of filth. Okay. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We believe it to be a dangerous thing for any religious to look too much upon the face of a woman. For this reason, none of you may presume to kiss a woman, be it widow, young girl, mother, sister, aunt, or any other, and henceforth the knighthood of Jesus Christ should avoid at all costs the embraces of women by which men have perished many times, so that they may remain eternally before the face of God with a pure conscience and sure life. Which, I kind of like this, because there's a piece of it where it's like, all right, misogyny, but there's another piece of it where it's like, you're too weak, sir. Yeah you will fall. So, like, just ignore, pretend women don't exist. Pretend they don't exist. All of this is just reading, like, really aggressive rules to pledges in a frat to me. Every time you're like, no brother. No No brother? No brother shall lay hands on another. No bruh shall lay their (laughs) hands on another bruh in violence or in wrath. Bruh. (laughs) Or thou shalt be put in irons. Or like the handcuffs that that we bought down on the street. They're they're pink. They're fuzzy. They got fuzzy. But you will be kept in them. Yeah, you will not look upon the face of any babes. <laughs> I really want to rewrite these now as as fraternity orders. Yep. I really want to do it. We should it. send them to that girl who does the TikToks of the three bros that are like woke bros. Yes. Everything is in this like bro dialect. I love it so much. It's really it's good. <laughs> it's really good. She she comes up with so many puns. It's amazing how many words you could fit the the prefix bro into. <laughs> yes. Like, well done to her. She is very good at it. The last one is, We prohibit pointed shoes and shoelaces and forbid any brother to wear them, for it is manifest and well known that these abominable things belong to pagans. Well, we both support that rule. We don't like pointy shoes. Nope. I don't want my foot to look like a pizza. <laughs> now I want pizza. Ah, uh, mac and cheese, pizza. Uh, we shouldn't have come here hungry. Well, I shouldn't have come here hungry. That was a mistake on my part. Other rules included silence during meals. Um, what types of garments you could wear to bed. And you couldn't eat meat more than three times a week. Which feels more, like, sustainable. Yeah, very eco-conscious. Yeah. A couple of other things to note about the Templars. The Red Cross in their robes was a symbol of martyrdom, and to die in battle was the greatest honor. It basically assured you a place in heaven. They were charged with guarding holy relics, and apparently had the true cross that Jesus Christ died on, or pieces of it. There was a general rule that the Knights of the Order shouldn't ever surrender unless the Templar flag fell in battle, and even then they should first try to regroup with the other Christian orders fighting, as the Templars were not the only orders developed at this time. 
Only once all the flags had fallen were they to leave the battlefield. Basically, keep going until you're dead or you've won, which made them very scary soldiers. They had beards. Long, big, thick beards. Although it was not in Templar rule, it just became a custom to have one. In 1240, Alberic of Trois-Fontaines called the Templars, quote, an order of bearded brethren, end quote. Which, again, sounds like fraternity. Yeah. They probably just got sick of asking if they could cut it. That's such a good point. They're like, I'll just leave it. Why not? That's such a good point. I did not think that through. Because, like, if they already got permission to bathe, they can, like... Scrunch it. <laughs> squish. Squish. Like the... <laughs> oh, you probably have it. But on curly hair TikTok, there's this girl who recommends doing this method where, like, you put a lot of product in your hair after you're, like, done showering. Mm-hmm. And then she, like, dunks it in a bowl, like, three or four times so that the water is, like, diluting the product and, like, distributing it through your hair. It's supposed to be good for your curls. But the way you just were like, scrunch, scrunch, made me think of them, like... But dipping it in a bowl of water oh, after they bathed. It's, it's so cute, though. Can you... They were, like, trying to get the perfect curl in their beard. I don't know. It's a lot. I don't... I'm glad that I don't grow hair on my face like that. Yeah. Look, this on top of my head is enough to worry about. Right? I don't need more. Most of the brothers joined for life, but there were some that were allowed to join for a little while. Apparently, a married man could join if he had the permission of his wife, but he couldn't wear the white mantle as it was a symbol of chastity, and he did not have that. But I like that you had to ask your wife first. To be like, get a permission slip. Yep. Initiation into the order, known as reception, was solemn and private. In these ceremonies, the members signed away their wealth and goods to the order, taking an individual vow of poverty, chastity, piety, and obedience. So now the order as a whole has all this wealth. Mm. So, let's talk about their money. The Templars, outside of their primary militaristic endeavors, were starting to build a financial infrastructure with all of their donations, money and land from the brothers, many of whom had a lot of it when they joined, and eventually the Templars were given control of wealth that weren't direct donations. Noblemen who wanted to fight in the Crusades would give their assets, property, money, etc., to the knights to manage while they were away. With the land that the Templars eventually were either gifted or gained through membership, the order grew outside of Jerusalem and Outremer into Europe and the Middle East, to the point where there were pockets of Templar knights in almost every major city at the time. By 1150, the order was generating letters of credit for pilgrims. The pilgrims would deposit valuables into their local Templar spot, travel to the Holy Land, and retrieve funds of equal value from the Templars there. This achieved two things in one fell swoop. One, the line of credit system made it so that the pilgrims were less attractive to thieves while traveling since they didn't have any valuables with them, fulfilling the whole reason the Templars were started. And two, the Templars' coffers grew. Financial networks were established across their known world between Templar posts. Land was acquired and on it they managed farms, built massive cathedrals and castles, and cultivated vineyards. They had their hands in manufacturing and import and export, which also meant that they had an entire fleet of ships at one point. They also, for a period of time, owned the entire island of Cyprus, which I find cool. 
As the Crusades raged on, the opposing Muslim forces got stronger as Christians started to fracture into factions when it came to the Holy Land. The Templars were sometimes at odds with the two Christian orders also in the Holy Land, the Teutonic Knights and the Knights Hospitalier. The infighting led to weakened defenses. Do you like their name? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just go up to people in battle and they're like, do you need anything to drink? How are you feeling? Can I take your coat? Ice pack? What about your sword? Whatcha? <laughs> Turns out they're the sneaky ones. Everyone thinks that they're like, you know, coy and sweet. Turns out they're the killers. The infighting led to weakened defenses and unsuccessful campaigns. In 1187, Jerusalem was recaptured by Muslim forces, forcing the Templars north to Acre in Israel for the next century. After 1291, the Templars hot from spot to spot to set up headquarters in the Holy Land, as each was recaptured over and over. By 1303, the Knights had lost their last spot in the Holy Land when Arwad, an island in the Mediterranean, was taken by the Muslims. Did they say, <laughs> I'm not. I mean, most of them were French, so probably. Their military mission that had made them necessary for the past two centuries was essentially dissolved. But the Knights had become a part of the daily life in the past 200 years. They ran the Templar houses throughout Europe and the Near East that functioned as meeting houses as well as other areas of commerce. They owned property and ran businesses that fueled local economies. Many Christians had daily contact with the order as they still functioned as a pseudo-bank. And remember, too, that the order was still not subject to local laws, which basically gave, gave them an embassy status, so you could take refuge in uh, temple spaces. Sanctuary! <laughs> In 1305, Pope Clement V, who was new to the scene, sent letters to Templar Grandmaster Jacques de Molay and Hospitalier Grandmaster Fouque de Villarette to talk about merging the orders. Though they were both basically defunct military orders, neither masters were willing to merge. Still, the Pope wanted to talk about it, and a year later he invited both of the Grandmasters to Avignon, France, where he was based. De Molay arrived in early 1307, but De Villarette was delayed by a few months. To kill time, the Pope and De Molay chatted about charges laid against the knights by an ousted Templar. King Philip IV of France was discussing it with his ministers, but Clement was going to have to deal with it since it was a Templar-related issue, and he was still the big cheese in charge, even though the charges were decidedly false so far as anyone else could determine. King Philip who was deeply in debt to the Templars and had been refused additional loans, decided to take the chance to use the rumors to pressure the church to take action against the order, and in that way, get out of debt, which is what most historians believe. As dawn broke on Friday the 13th, October 1307, mm. King Philip IV had scores of French Templars arrested, including de Molay. The arrest warrant started with, quote, God is not pleased. We have enemies of the faith in the kingdom. End quote. Which, I just like that as a, as a start to any dramatic. thing. So dramatic. God is not pleased. Good to know. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. The charges leveled included. 
During Templar ceremonies, recruits had had to spit on the cross, deny Christ, and engage in, quote, indecent kissing, which probably meant that they had to kiss each other's butts. Literally. Hazing. Just hazing. It's hazing. Two, worship of idols, including the suspected worshiping of either Baphomet, which was a devil-like deity, or a mummified severed head that was recovered with other artifacts from their original headquarters at the Temple Mount. And many scholars think that this might be the head of John the Baptist that they had been keeping Hmm. safe. Three, homosexuality. Apparently, because of course. Four, worship of a cat. Just one cat. That's uh, that's all the, the sources said. They were like, worship of a cat. And I'm like, which cat was it? A very specific cat, apparently. Whatever number my, I'm on. <laughs> Financial corruption. Fraud. And basic secrecy. Just like baseline secrecy. You're keeping secrets from us. Among others that were confessed to by the Templars under torture and duress, although none of them said so in any of their written confessions. Basically, they said, oh, no, I did this, you know, willingly. It's like, you definitely did not, because they recount, almost every single one of them recounted their confessions. Eventually, Pope Clement relented and issued a papal bull in 1307 that instructed all Christian monarchs in Europe to arrest the Templars in their kingdoms and seize all assets. In 1310, dozens of Templars were burned at the stake for their confessions. In 1312, Pope Clement dissolved the order under pressure from King Philip and the Knights Hospitaliers were given the property and assets that the Knights had held. Most of this, however, probably ended up going to the monarchs, specifically Philip and King Edward II of England. On March 18, 1314, in Paris, both Grand Master Jacques de Molay and Geoffroy de Charny, who was the preceptor of Normandy for the Knights Templar, were burned alive. According to legend, de Molay called out as he burned that both Pope Clement and King Philip would soon meet him before God. And this is recorded. He said, quote, God knows who is wrong and has sinned. Soon a calamity will occur to those who have condemned us to death. End quote. A month later, Clement died. And Philip died before the end of the year on a hunting trip. I would say his odds were basically 50-50 of whether or not they'd live out the year. Because this is like 1300s. But still. The remaining Templars were absorbed into other Christian military orders. Pensioned and allowed to live out their lives peacefully. Or tried for their, quote, crimes. But virtually none were convicted by the papal investigation. Portugal was the only place that didn't even try to arrest the knights. They had been there at Portugal's creation, and the king, Dennis I, just made them change their name. They became the Order of Christ as well as the Supreme Order of Christ of the Holy See, and are now considered successors to the Knights Templar. So let's get into the fun stuff. So all that gold, valuables, religious relics that the Templars were keeping in their coffers just got dispersed. Right? Maybe. Probably not. In Acre, Israel, where the Knights had a headquarters for over a century, the Templars apparently dug tunnels beneath their fortress. Archaeologists discovered these tunnels used by the Knights over 800 years ago, as well as their lavish headquarters in 2019. Mm. They found them using LIDAR detectors and lasers to scan the earth beneath Acre without disturbing anything. (laughs) 
I understand that you mean the scientists use LIDAR, but the way that it was phrased made me think, like, they found the headquarters and they found evidence that the knights were using that. I was like, <laughs> that makes no sense. The knights were using LIDAR detectors to check out the world above them. Yeah. I wonder if they do work both ways. I don't know if it, nobody's probably tried. Because I wouldn't want to be under the earth, like, trying to figure out. Yeah, I wouldn't want to need to use it to find the surface. Yeah, no. Those scans have revealed a guardhouse in all these tunnels under the modern city. They haven't been able to actually dig because there's a city on top of it. So, tunnel, tunnel, go farther <laughs> out where there aren't people living, then tunnel down and tunnel in until you hit the tunnels. Come on. For science. For science, truly. Like, I think, I think really their only big barrier is, like, money. Which is fair, but also, come on. Lame. The Templars would have used these tunnels, it's surmised, to move their gold from Temple Mount to just outside the city of Acre and via the tunnels to their fabled, quote, treasure tower, where they kept all of the relics and all of the gold for everyone who had deposited it there. This treasure they could have been moving, however, may not have only been gold. Remember that their first headquarters sat atop the purported spot of Solomon's temple. Many believe that the Templars were responsible for keeping not only pilgrims safe, but the relics most important to Christianity, like the True Cross of Christ, the Ark of the Covenant, and the Holy Grail. So the Holy Grail is supposedly the cup the apostles used to catch the blood of Christ while he was on the cross, but also the cup they all shared during the Last Supper. The first mention of the Holy Grail is in an old French unfinished romance called Conte del Graal, or the story of the Grail, or Percival, written around 1180, during the height of the Templars. It was solidified in Christian mythology in 1200 when Robert de Barone wrote a poem titled Joseph de Arimathea, who was the man who, Joseph Arimathea was the man who gave his grave to Jesus and supposedly was then given the Grail for safekeeping. The Grail became a popular theme in medieval literature, purported to have supernatural healing powers, the power to give you eternal youth, and everlasting happiness. In 1485, Le Mort d'Arthur, by Thomas Mallory, spun the idea of the Holy Grail and the knights who kept it safe into the legend of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, which I can only think of Monty Python and the Holy Grail because the, they sing a song, Knights of the Round Table, and I don't remember the rest of it. That, that's just been going on in my head for the past day and a half. I do love that movie, though. Have you seen it? I think so. Just didn't stick with you? No, it was not. I think I saw it too late for it to have really any huge impact. It's just that like now I recognize references. Like, when people do the, like, <laughs> thing, I'm like, oh, yeah. Or like the, what is it? Your your mother is a hamster and smells of elderberries or whatever. Yeah, tis but a flesh wound. Yes, yeah. my dad loves loves Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Checks out, right? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, but he also loves Indiana Jones, which also makes sense. And in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, they take the idea of the Grail and the Templars taking care of it and run with it. So 
They I'd... run away from it. The giant ball is <laughs> going to crush him to death. Um, so in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, his dad, who was an archaeologist and researcher, had been looking for the Holy Grail his entire life and then gets accidentally captured by Nazis who are also looking for the Holy Grail because they want eternal life and eternal youth to rule forever. Because, of course, the Nazis are always the bad guys, which is Nazis. fair, but also like, all right. But Sean Connery is captured by these Nazis and Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford, comes and saves him, but then also gets subsequently captured by the Nazis. And then they find this, you know, spot that the Holy Grail has been kept in for thousands of years or whatever. And when they go into, when Harrison Ford goes into the place where the Holy Grail is, it's like a whole sea of all of these chalices and cups and different things. And there's this old man in a Templar's mantle like, just sitting there, like, guarding the Holy oh, Grail. Oh, yeah, because he has eternal He has life. eternal life. What a, what a lame job. Just been sitting there for years. In the dark. Years. Just chilling? Yep. Looking at all these beautiful chalices. And nobody, they don't even have to bring you food. No, because you, you live forever. Man, but your quality of life. It's like the vampire thing. It's like, I don't think I'd want to be. No. I really would not want to live I'd forever. just do what Carlisle Cullen did and, like, build a family. Yeah, right? <laughs> because otherwise you're just going to be bored and sad. lonely. Very sad. But yeah, so there's, like, a Templar who is taking care of the Holy Grail, but also it's supposed to be, like, a, a test to see if you can choose, like, a King Arthur kind of mm-hmm. sword in the stone thing of can you choose the right grail? And, of course, Harrison Ford chooses the right grail. But then as they're leaving the ground starts to, you know, shake and split and the grail and all of the Nazis go into the earth and Mm. Harrison Ford and his father make it out alive, but without the grail and the grail is lost forever and maybe it exists and maybe it doesn't and, you know, all that fun stuff. In The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown, the Knights Templar had become keepers of the grail, but it wasn't a cup. It was the bloodline of Jesus through Mary Magdalene. This was a conspiracy that was long-standing before Dan Brown took it on, and it isn't widely believed, but there's a whole legacy of, like, Mary Magdalene being, like, the prostitute who was following Jesus and his apostles, when in actuality, Mary Magdalene was actually a very wealthy woman. She was not a sex worker. And she was actually considered the apostle to the apostles. And Catholicism has just co-opted her name and made her, because she's a woman, into a figure of disrepute. In 2014, a pair of Spanish historians claimed that they had discovered the Grail in Leon, in northern Spain, with a chalice that had been there since the 11th century made between 200 BC and 100 AD. But there's no real way to DNA test it for Jesus's DNA. Like there's there's no way we can ever say absolutely this is the holy grail. It fits the timeline, it fits the like when it would have come to Europe, all of that. Still can it could just be someone had held onto it for forever and then pretended it was the Holy Grail and buried it in a church. 
We'll never know. The Grail is the most famous of the Templar relics that may have been kept safe, even though it actually may not have been a cup. Grail comes from a Latin word for platter or serving tray. So it might actually have just been something that was like a dish, which I kind of love. They're like, quick, get this ham off of here. We need to catch Jesus' blood. Get this ham. They're Jews. (laughs) They can't have ham. Well, not the not the soldiers that were killing oh, Jesus. Oh, that's true. Because no, they made fun they of them. They were Gentiles. Yeah, see? Oh. I used to go to church. <laughs> I used to know things. The knights are also suspected to have been the safekeepers of the Shroud of Turin, which could have also been the, quote, head that they were accused of worshipping, because it's basically just the face of, potentially, Jesus. The Shroud of Turin, if you do not know, is a piece of fabric that has the image of a face on it, and it's supposedly the shroud that was placed over Jesus after he passed and was in his tomb. There are some suspected forgeries skirting around there, because the medieval times were full of them, but it's an interesting piece, regardless. And what happened to the treasure? Because, like, what happened? Did it just get put into everybody's coffers? Well, we could watch the end of National Treasure and find out the real story. Just kidding. Where's my shirt? Oh, yeah! Oh, my God, you guys, we did not tell you. Our... I love that I'm getting it, even though you've already seen it. No, but I love it. Our friend, Sarah Billman, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. She made us T-shirts, so our own very personal merch. And Shannon's is a very glittery uh, text over top of what looks like Machu Picchu. <laughs> and it says, this is not a, tr- a National Treasure fan podcast. And I love it. And the back of it says Team Heck No. Yeah. Because of Heck course. No. This podcast doesn't exist. Yes. And if you would like to know what mine is, I want you to take one guess. <laughs> Too late. It's It says, make me into a vase. <laughs> with vases on it. If you guessed right, strike one thing off of your bingo card that you haven't gotten yet. There are rumors that because the assets were allocated to the other order of hospitalier, hosp- hospitalier I think is how you say it, and there are, were still Knights Templar kicking around, the actual treasure of the Knights was transported by the Templar via those tunnels an acre before they could be pillaged, passed from night to night, and kept safe in pieces around the world to keep it away from rulers as well as the general public. And in that way, they are still keeping it today, although no one knows that they are the Templar Knights keeping it safe. That's how secret they are. Like what's-his-face at the end of National Treasure, the FBI guy. Yeah! Is the ring. I guess it's the Masons, but, you know. Yeah. Nicholas Cage is like, uh-huh, and the guy's like, wink-wink, ha-ha. Treasure. Great. Treasure. Treasure. Or they all hoarded it in one spot for Ben Gates and his dad to find. But in all likelihood, of us ever finding this, it's very low because the likelihood is that it's been dispersed just across the ages or been lost or been melted down. Maybe it's at the bottom of the ocean. Maybe. Maybe it's with the books under the Kremlin. Maybe. We'll never know. Nowadays, the Templar are key players in Christian myth and legend, 
and other groups have co-opted some of their symbols and tenets to bolster their own legitimacy, like the Freemasons. The Masons claim that they are part of the legacy of the Knights Templar, with similar motivations to keep secrets safe, generosity, and a pure heart, although they have become much more secular in their beliefs now, and much less a, what would seem to be a monastic order or like a, this was your entire life, it's just kind of like a club that you're a part of. Mm -hmm. Most historians don't believe that there is any real connection between the Templar and the Masons, but a Ben Gates can dream. The groups who do claim to have connections are mostly using the symbols and the Christian militaristic ideals to support their own aims. So there was a cartel in Mexico called Los Caballeros Templarios, based in Michoacán. They had a fight-or-die mentality, similar to the Templars in battle. The cartel was disbanded after their leader and second-in-command were both killed in 2017 and other cartels took over. But they used a lot of the symbolism, they used, you know, the fight or die situation. Um, a lot of their initiations were fairly similar. Um, they really just took on the whole, like, we are the new Knights Templar. There's also an American group who call themselves the Sovereign Military Order of the Temple of Jerusalem, who wear the traditional Knights garb in a initiation ceremony to initiate new members into their group. And in this group, gender does not matter. The ladies are called instead of Knights, Dames. Um, but the majority of them are white Christians trying to battle the, quote, war against Christianity, both in the States and abroad. And this has led to some uh, not-so-great connections uh, to those who are very adamantly and vocally against Muslims in general, as if they're all a part of ISIS. It's not great. So, we might never know all the treasures that the Knights Templar held, or if they're still keeping them safe, but there is one thing that we do know. National Treasure is an amazing movie. Yes. But this is not a National Treasure fan podcast. Nope. But this was probably as close as we were going to get to it. <laughs> yeah. All done. Woohoo! We've been on a treasure kick. I know. Of stuff that seems cool and we don't know where it is. Or like, if it is. <laughs> exactly. Like, if it even exists. Like, when you were talking about the books last week, of, like, the books from the Library of Alexandria, I'm like, well, of course, there must have been some people who, like, you know, took some of the books or took some of the scrolls or whatever. But, like, I don't know, like, 800 of them? It's a lot to take in that time period. So I wonder if it's like, you know, the legend of Alexander, because all of those books were potentially lost in the fire, there's some kind of like hold on it of like, oh, maybe they still exist. Maybe we still have that knowledge. So like, you know, the Holy Grail and I mean, we know of the Shroud of Turin, but the True Cross and any of those other relics that could have been in Solomon's Temple and Solomon's Temple itself has tunnels in it. So they probably used those to their own ends and might have find, found more treasure. I'll also say that my favorite movie series, The Librarian, if you haven't heard of it, Noah Wiley is wonderful, go watch it, also incorporates this idea of, like, the Holy Grail and the spear that uh, that uh, pierced Jesus' side and a lot of... The Unfinished Pyramid, right? Yeah. All that kind of 
symbolism, all of those kinds of conspiracies and mysteries. This is the crossover fanfic I am waiting for. The librarian, the librarian, the librarian treasure. Ben Gates, and Indiana Jones walk into a conference. <laughs> and it's just us sitting at the table going, welcome, boys. <laughs> Hello, we have questions. But imagine, uh, you know, like, how back on, like, old school Cartoon Network, how they would do, like, crossover episodes where, like... Yes! The Scooby-Doo gang would show up, you know, with whoever else, and... I was about to say the backyard again, so that's not... Wow, no. <laughs> the kids next door is what I was going for. Yeah, like... <laughs> the backyard again. You know, like, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. What a good... I don't think the timelines match up, but it could be old Indiana Jones. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, they did a they did a movie in, like, 20... Shia LaBeouf 14. was there. It was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I would love that. That'd All be right. fun. All right. Hollywood, you heard us. I mean... Do it. Noah Wiley, I feel like, will do anything. But yeah, that was your national treasure Woo. gift. Wow. <laughs> she op- she opened a fake gift and said, wow. Visual <laughs> bit. Check. Check mark. All right. Well, is there anything you would like to tell the listeners? <laughs> to hydrate. Be nice to people. Don't hide treasure. Don't hide treasure. Or if you do, at least, like, leave some clues. Ooh. Yeah. Clues for people to follow. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a wonderful Christmas gift. You hear that, Francois? <laughs> I think he's already bought all of my gifts. <laughs> he could create some gifts. He could create clues to lead you to the gifts. Oh, I'd actually really like that. He could hide them somewhere in the town in a guarded place. <laughs> leave leave your brother standing guard. <laughs> Each of your family members is, like, guarding a clue. Oh, you're like, what's happening? Really cute. We're, we're already married. <laughs> we can, this is not a proposal. <laughs> Confused? Are you telling me that oh I'm God. pregnant? No, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that'd be great, though. That'd be so... And then just, you end up at a restaurant, and they do think it's... That'd be you so free... funny. You get free stuff. Oh, I'd love that. Francois, take note. Take notes. Put it in the Google Doc. I think I think you might enjoy making that. All right. Well, friends, have a very wonderful run-up to, hopefully if you get the time off a holiday. And remember, this podcast doesn't exist. Like this treasure? Question mark? Question mark? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.